When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Middle-income families need help. We're coming out of COVID-19. We want to keep our economy strong. When you have an infrastructure bill, there's spinoffs of that. There's spinoffs in cities and towns all across America. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. I do believe the vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is is to share the science, share the facts share the benefits. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Washington is now officially a three-ring circus as we add booster shots to the plate, which was already crowded with Afghanistan and infrastructure. And we will explore all three issues this hour with our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, as well Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies. Later, we'll talk with Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California, who serves on the Armed Forces Committee, Armed Services, about the situation in Afghanistan and what lawmakers were told before the fall of Kabul. The president speaks not about Afghanistan today, but as you were just hearing about the fight against COVID. Eight months after your second shot, get a booster shot. These booster shots are free. We'd be able to get the booster shots at any one of approximately 80,000 vaccination locations nationwide. It will be easy. Just show your vaccination card and you'll get a booster. No other ID, no insurance, no state residency requirement. Speaking from the East Room of the White House, eight months. There's your answer. As we find the headline on the terminal as well, Biden to require nursing homes to vaccinate staff to get funding. Requirement will apply to more than 15,000 facilities. As many as 1.3 million employees would fall under these rules. And so this is where we begin today with the panel on Sound On. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is here along with Max Burns, Democratic strategist, founder of third degree strategies. Rick, I'm going to start with you. This is a president who's been getting a lot of abuse for not taking questions on Afghanistan. He didn't take any questions on COVID either. Was this the right topic today? I think it was a topic that he had to broach. Uh, Everybody has been debating this issue of whether there was going to be a booster uh, requirement. It leaked out of the CDC earlier this month. and, And, and so he had to, he had to put this as the priority. Um, that being said, he hasn't answered a lot of questions related to Afghanistan. And so I'm sure the staff said, look, the minute you open it up to questions, we're going to we're going to lose our momentum on trying to convince people to get vaccines and get the booster now. 
uh, and uh, and we're and we have no good explanations to do yeah. anything more on Afghanistan. So I, I think they're in a trap that is kind of self-imposed. I mean, they should have been promoting vaccines and 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 the booster program would have fit right in there if they'd have been a little muscular earlier in his administration. Would this have played differently, uh, Max, in a different environment, say a couple of weeks ago before the fall of Kabul? Or is this the president doing his job? No, this is certainly an evolving situation. And I think it's a great point that was just brought up that uh, momentum is so much now of what Joe Biden needs to maintain. He has on one front Afghanistan, on the other COVID, both sort of accelerating and evolving quicker than he would like. And we see now in this moment where he's very careful to not say anything that may quickly be uh, obsolete or rendered wrong by events. So my guess is there will be a larger press conference down the line. But right now, it's just about responding to these breaking situations. Of course, uh, COVID itself, the use of masks and vaccines all come with a certain amount of controversy. Who is the audience today, Rick? Was he speaking to those who needed a booster or was he speaking to those who haven't even got a shot yet? I think it was a combination. I think you saw the pomp and circumstance of the office. He's using the bully pulpit of the presidency to to give a message. He gave a full-throated message about uh, vaccines. In fact, he went much further, I thought, than he usually does, talking about how uh, these can be mandatory and that we've used mandatory vaccinations in the past very successfully. Um, um, yeah, uh, we've talked about this on this program many times, why this administration didn't go into mandatory vaccinations for government employees a long time ago, months yeah. ago, um, is, is left that door open. So I think he's trying to close that door a little bit and at the same time continuing to advocate uh, for now, uh, people to go out and get their booster. But look, he's he's got a full basket. As Max said, you know, these are these are Band-Aid approaches right now. I mean, you know, the idea that uh, we, we can methodically execute a plan uh, to get people their boosters and to continue vaccinations uh, and keep the public focus on this is is being interrupted by events. And that's the biggest challenge he's got. I'm going to ask you both about Afghanistan, but I still want to learn a little more about this and get your reaction. Max, specifically with this requirement for nursing homes to vaccinate staff, here's the president. If you walk into a government office building, you should know that federal workers are doing everything possible to keep you safe. If you're a veteran seeking care at a VA hospital, you should not be at a greater risk walking into the hospital than you were outside the hospital. And now, if you visit, live, or work in a nursing home, you should not be at a high risk for contracting COVID from unvaccinated employees. This will apply, as I mentioned, Max, to more than 15,000 facilities with funding on the line. This could be a controversial move, but is it the right one? It is absolutely. And I think there is a, a growing sense from the Biden administration that their initial hesitancy to move on mandates was a mistake. And now the effort is to influence or institute those mandates gradually with different groups. And this nursing home population is critical because we saw that just last week, uh, a survey came out that less than half of nursing home aides are fully vaccinated and only three quarters of actual internal medicine practice providers at nursing homes are vaccinated. Uh, that's a critical situation. It was nursing homes that initially saw these booms in infection rates at the beginning of the pandemic and where uh, an outsized effect has been. So getting those under control will be critical as Delta starts picking up around the country. 
And, of course, we're on the threshold of schools reopening, some in the Washington, D.C. area. I suspect other areas of the country start as soon as next week. And there's an expectation, as I was discussing uh, with Carol Master last hour, of workers coming back. The whole point was that the world was going to get back to normal in September when kids go back to school. And then the Delta showed up. And, of course, things have become much more complicated since then. The president did speak Uh, as he has in the past, about politicians who don't like masks, don't like mandates for vaccines, as he says, to get out of the way. That's why today I'm directing the Secretary of Education, an educator himself, to take additional steps to protect our children. This includes using all of his oversight authorities and legal action, if appropriate, against governors who are trying to block and intimidate local school officials and educators. As I said before, if you aren't going to fight COVID-19, at least get out of the way of everyone else who's trying. The last time he said that, he was referring to Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who has a new line himself. Politicians want to force you to cover your face as a way for them to cover their own asses. That's just the truth. Rick Davis, that is that is a pretty clever line, I suppose, uh, from the governor of Florida. But this remains a major problem for this president. Yeah, it does. And uh, and I think it will continue to be as this uh, school year uh, opens up. You're going to see more infections. Uh, certainly everybody is uh, bracing for that in that in that regard. But but also, I mean, you know, the president has an opportunity too to to extend those vaccine mandates to uh, union employees, uh, teachers, you know, who are in those classrooms, which hasn't been done yet. And. And so if you're going to go all in, go all in, put the put the Republicans on the defensive by saying, you know, we're going to do everything we can to keep uh, classrooms safe. And that includes requiring people who receive federal funds to have vaccines. And that would include school administrators and, and teachers. Uh, and, 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 and if he wants to pick a fight on masks, probably a good good fight for the president to pick. And uh and he's certainly got a, a worthy adversary in, in, in Governor DeSantis. But he needs to be on the side that everything he does is about public health and keeping people healthy and right. keeping those schools open. They both certainly have uh, different aims here, Max Burns. Uh, Governor DeSantis raising money on this. But President Biden is obviously uh, running into some major obstacles here with, with Republican leaders in so, certain parts of the country. Is he taking the right approach when it comes to masks? He is. And I think what we're seeing from Republicans here is absolutely horrifying. I mean, Ron DeSantis may come up with some slick messaging to sell shirts, but COVID doesn't care about how good your messaging is. You're not spinning your way out of a body count that is rapidly expanding. And it's funny for a lot of these Republicans who have looked down their nose at the Afghan government and said, what kind of people just surrender? when your population is in danger. Uh, This is exactly in a lot of ways what DeSantis, what Greg Abbott are advising people to do. They're saying this will be with us forever. Let's get rid of masks. Let's not push vaccines anymore. Let's just surrender to new reality. And what is that except a complete unwillingness to fight? Rick, I'm glad that uh, Max mentioned Greg Abbott. Th- this was a story that broke right at, uh, towards the end of our program yesterday, and I'd love to hear you reflect on the impact of this news. A fully vaccinated governor of Texas who doesn't want any part of these mandates from Joe Biden gets COVID anyway. Yeah, Max hit it right on the head. I mean, like this, the COVID has absolutely no partisan appeal. <laughs> 
it's going to hit everybody. And I think what we've learned is the vaccines we got early last year, this year, uh, aren't aren't going to last through the year, and we're going to need those boosters. And and even governors, uh, Republican governors, can't protect themselves from the from the Delta variant. And and I do think that's part of the message is like pick the ground you're going to fight on. The ground that that Biden seems to be starting to fight on is I'm for public health. I'm for science. I'm going to I'm going to do what I need to do to protect everybody, whether you're in Texas or in New York state and 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 let the chips fall. And and and, and you can't play politics. Don't attack governors. Don't attack, you know, the, the, the people delivering these things just just without any bias mm-hmm. before public health. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Collapse and Conquest. And this is not about a video game. The latest from Afghanistan with reporting by the New York Times about the Taliban strategy that seized Afghanistan. A remarkable read about the incredible speed with which all of this happened as I read from the Times, each surrender, small or large, handed the Taliban more weapons and vehicles and vitally more control over roads and highways, giving insurgents freedom to move rapidly and collect the next surrenders. As the security forces were progressively cut off from ammunition, fuel, food and salaries. The president didn't talk about it today. He was talking about COVID. But you better believe they were talking about this at the Pentagon. A briefing from the defense secretary as well as General Mark Milley, who made clear that no one knew how fast this would happen. The time frame of a rapid collapse, that was widely estimated and ranged from weeks to months and even years following our departure. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff speaking a short time ago from the Pentagon. And we're joined now by Anthony Cordesman, Middle East policy expert at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, who served as a consultant on Afghanistan to the Pentagon as well as the Department of State. Anthony, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. We're glad to have you today. We understand that the airport is secure, but there are still many questions about how this happened so fast. And to hear the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs make clear that even he was surprised is not the most comforting moment. No, it's not comforting, but I think that some of this is probably going to turn out to be a bit of political spin. Uh, You don't do intelligence assessments without looking at a range of contingencies. If you're competent, you don't act as a prophet. And anyone who had seen this build up, and it did, basically over a period of more than a decade, had to realize that you could have a catalytic collapse of the Afghan forces and the government. I think that in retrospect, it wasn't predictable. You couldn't say it was probable. But if people really get access to the intelligence estimates, Mm -hmm. they're going to find out that people warned that it was possible. So who's not being honest? I think really for a very long time we have essentially used public relations efforts to make claims about the effectiveness of the Afghan government 
and Afghan forces that people on the ground simply didn't believe. Some of this is very technical. You'd have to read through government reports from groups like the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. But this was never an effective Afghan force. It was much smaller than the figures people quoted. It basically had very sharp limits that could be overcome as long as there were U.S. air power and U.S. troops. But those capabilities were withdrawn. And one of your critical problems was at the political leadership level, where you had a government that was so divided and so corrupt that the Taliban were carrying out a political war which in some ways was more successful than their military one. So was this a major failure of intelligence? I think the failure wasn't intelligence. I think the failure was political. I think it was a command failure. There were many people who actually reported, really from about 2007 on, about the level of weaknesses and issues involved. And the reporting that came out of congressional groups like SIGAR, the Special Inspector General, or the Department of Defense lead inspector generals gave very clear warnings about how bad the situation was years before this collapse took place. The officials who were speaking today at the Pentagon were very clear about saving time for a post-mortem until later, that we must focus on evacuations and controlling the airport. Do you believe the Taliban will allow the U.S. to operate until the 31st of August so we can at least get all the Americans out? I think you'll get the Americans out. Uh, It's very difficult. We don't have the transportation now to protect people getting to the airport. And there are a lot of American contractors, not just officials, Yes. Aid workers, civilians. Exactly what's going to happen is difficult. But just remember, people now are focusing on the evacuation of Americans and perhaps 60,000 to 100,000 Afghans. What nobody as yet is focused on is the country of 37 million people. It's very young. You have a lot of newly educated urban people living in a modern economy. We've just seen the government collapse. And that government not only was corrupt, but 80% of its income came from aid. We've just essentially halted all Taliban or government access to that aid. So this crisis is going to get a lot worse. And what you're seeing now in the evacuation is almost a minor issue compared to the 36 million or more Afghans that are now going to have to live with a Taliban government. Anthony Cordesman at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. We thank you for your insights. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. 
Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. And we bring in Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California who's had his eye focused on the situation in Afghanistan as a member of the House Armed Services Committee, as well focused on wildfires that have been burning in Northern California and are growing worse. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. It's good to be with you. There's so many questions about who knew what and when in Afghanistan, Congressman, and why the administration appeared to be caught off guard by the speed with which the Taliban retook control. You serve, of course, on the House Armed Services Committee. And I wonder, were you briefed in advance of this, and did you see it coming? It was reported that uh, the Taliban was prepared to advance after the American soldiers left. We all knew that that would likely occur. There was no indication that the, until the, provincial capitals just began to fall one after another, most of them without a fight at all. Uh, the Taliban simply walked in and the uh, Afghan government, the Ghani government, just disappeared. And then it was Kabul. What to do about Kabul? And the departure of Ghani and his family and the total disappearance of the government, the soldiers, the police, just disappeared. That was totally unexpected. One month ago, Ghani and uh, Abdullah met with the president, and they also met with the leadership of Congress. I was at that luncheon, and these guys were thumping their chest and boasting about how they could do whatever needed to be done. All they needed was American money uh, going forward uh, to pay the soldiers, American intelligence, which we continue to provide. And the day before Ghani left, we were providing close air support and attacking the Taliban from the air. So we did not, certainly I did not, and I don't, I believe the American government did not expect Ghani simply to up and leave. I know you're also chair of the House Subcommittee on Readiness. Was this withdrawal a failure of preparation, or as Jake Sullivan suggested, this is the kind of chaos that comes at the conclusion of a civil war? I think there was more than adequate planning, and the events unfolded far more rapidly than anybody anticipated. Now, we're 48 hours into this, and the situation has reversed at the airport and, and that speaks to the ability of the American military to move quickly uh, in a situation that uh, had rapidly, uh, well, collapsed. Will the Armed Services Committee congressmen hold hearings on this? And, and is it realistic to promise our Afghan allies safe passage out of the country at this point? It's going to be difficult. Uh, and that really depends upon what is happening right now. And that is the, uh, the Taliban government, such as it is, seems to be allowing Afghans to exit the country in three ways. One at the airport in Kabul, and secondly, two border crossings are now open, just opened in the last hours. Once again, this is uh, 
a, a very unstable situation mm-hmm. and uncertain as to what will take place. Uh, we have, we're confident that foreigners will be leaving. Once the Taliban government is uh, established, I would hope that the American government would not recognize uh, the Taliban, uh, but that the military and other parts of the American government engage. I'm, I'm absolutely certain the American military is engaged with the Taliban military as we speak. We're talking with Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California. Congressman, I feel like we need to talk about what's going on where you are right now, and I appreciate you taking my questions on Afghanistan, but here you are in Northern California, and we should let our listeners know that your home, where you are now, is inundated with smoke, and I know thousands are being evacuated because of wildfires up there. I understand 30,000 acres burned, 0% contained. Are you safe where you are right now? Uh, We are right now. But there is no part of Northern California, well, no part of California, north or south, that is safe. Uh, We are experiencing extreme drought. Everything is very, very dry. And the uh, the winds are guaranteed to pick up. The north wind that usually occurs in late August, September, October will arrive as it has every year. And uh, there's no place in California that will be safe. The Santa Ana winds in Southern California, uh, they will return as they do every uh, late summer and fall. And the uh, and and so we're in for a very dangerous period here in California, as is the West. And in the larger context, the entire world is in for a very, very dangerous future. Congressman, we've yes, talked a lot exactly. about resources you have sought to deal with uh, with water resources as well as efforts to combat climate change. Will the infrastructure bill that's been moving through Capitol Hill bring those resources to California to deal with this? The bill that we passed out of the House of Representatives almost three months ago does exactly that. It is totally oriented towards the climate crisis. How about the moving Senate bill? Amer- the Senate bill goes... A- Heads in the direction of uh, the climate crisis, but is it's not enough. It does not move America away from a petroleum-based economy uh, into an economy based upon renewables. The things that we need to do uh, with uh, electrical grids, the things we need to do with uh, uh, green energy systems of all kinds, are there, but they're not robust enough in the Senate bill. Nor is there sufficient direction. Uh, to the economy and to the governments of America uh, to move in that direction. Uh, There are in the Senate bill some very good things for Western America, and uh, it's the Western water programs that uh, deal with the necessity of storage, aquifer storage, the underground water basins, surface storage, off-stream surface storage systems, uh, that is in the Senate bill, and frankly, it's much bigger than we had in the House bill, and we're thankful for that uh, from the perspective of California. Yeah. But the reality is that uh, we need to go all out, not just 50% all out to a green, uh, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen. Uh, we have to go 100%, 110% if there is such a thing, and... Uh, and get on with it. There's not much time. Congressman John Garamendi with us, Democrat from California. 
here on Bloomberg Sound On. We thank you, Congressman. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Can we get everyone out of Kabul? It sounds like a yes if you're an American. As the U.S. military maintains control of the airport, HKI as they call it, we heard a short time ago from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. We will continue to uh, coordinate and de-conflict uh, with, uh, with the Taliban and make sure that uh, those, folk, those, those uh, people that need to get to the airfield uh, have the right uh, credentials. Uh, to to ensure uh, passage and and the Taliban will, has been checking those credentials and it's, if they have them they have allowed them to pass. SecDef at the Pentagon using one of my favorite military terms de-conflict. And I guess like anything in life, it all depends on your paperwork, even when it comes to the Taliban. Now, now we've also seen reports today of American troops firing warning shots over the heads of people trying to climb over a checkpoint to get into the airport. Some of them were U.S. citizens, which gives us a sense of how tenuous this whole situation is. Let's talk to the panel about it. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is here, along with Democratic strategist Max Burns. Rick, we seem to be holding the line at the airport. It's still unclear, though, just how long the Taliban will allow us to operate. Even Jake Sullivan couldn't answer that yesterday. Is our operation at their mercy right now? Well, I think as long as uh, uh, Defense Secretary Austin uh, thinks that they can continue to, your favorite word, deconflict and negotiate, I'm sure, with the Taliban for more time, um, I can't imagine it's not in the Taliban's interest to allow uh, the U.S. operations uh, to continue. They, mm-hmm. they probably don't have it in their self-interest to want to get in a fight uh, over the airport. But, but I think what Tony Cordesman said earlier in your program is that this crisis will only get much worse. Uh, we, we may actually see it at the height of the best it's going to get. And as you point out, um, the Taliban's patience will run out. And, and are we ready to be completely gone at that point? Um, I must say, this may be going down in history as one of the worst Augusts for a new administration uh, that has ever been scripted. Wow. Max, you heard my conversation with Congressman John Garamendi. He sounded a little bit like General Mark Milley, who we heard from earlier, suggesting that of all the options given to the Pentagon, no one suggested that this would unfold in less than two weeks time. What does that say about our intelligence community once again seeming to be caught off guard? If that is true, uh, which it, it seems to be, uh, this should outrage the American people. I mean, for 20 years, uh, the military, the intelligence community have demanded more money, more resources, more access to American civil liberties, all under the claim that this was necessary to gather the intelligence needed to know what was going on in the war on terror. Uh, This withdrawal shows us that for all that money, it didn't bring us a single inch closer to knowing what was going on. Our intelligence was as bad this week as it was in 2001. I was mentioning a New York Times uh, article earlier, Collapse and Conquest, which digs into the speed with which the Taliban pulled this off and how the Taliban pulled this off. As I read, organized, apparently more than some Americans were at the time, received money, supplies and support from Pakistan, Russia and Iran. That included as many as 20,000 Afghan volunteers sent from Pakistan and thousands more Afghan villagers who joined the militants when it became clear 
They were winning. Rick Davis, this was happening in real time. It may have been a game day call for the Taliban, but what were we paying attention to? Yeah, that's a really great question. This has been predicted for some time by many people in the foreign policy, national security community, that the minute we signal that we're leaving, we're basically handing over the future of this country to the Taliban. And uh, it, the only debate was how long it was going to take them to to take over. The, the debate never was that the uh, administration in Kabul could actually manage that country and and and, and keep the Taliban at bay. And so um, it, it was our own policy that sort of lit the fire that now burned through uh, Afghanistan so quickly. I mean, what would you expect for the neighbors to do mm. than make common cause with the people who ultimately are going to run that country? And so this is the problem when we when enter into these kinds of um, um, policies where we declare defeat in advance of uh, making arrangements for the survival of the people who have helped us in that country. And and, 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 and now we're seeing just a, a level of incompetence that I think will actually have potentially big effects in the midterm elections. Um, one thing that Biden seemed to have going into this was a level of competence with his administration to get things done, public health uh, included. This now rips that Band-Aid off and, and he's going to get graded and right now graded poorly by the American public for having a competent administration. Well, let's go there, Max Burns. We also talked with Congressman Garamendi about infrastructure. There have been a lot of questions here inside the Beltway about how this could affect that. I know they're not related, but when it comes to the credibility of an administration, will this impact the level of influence the White House can have on Capitol Hill with big issues like infrastructure? Well, I think justified or not, uh, the reality is that most voters don't make voting decisions based on foreign policy. Uh, we have a lot of survey data that shows that that's the case. Uh, and that this was a decision that in any case, over 70% of the country supported. And I think we see from the SNAP responses to the president's remarks earlier this week that while this is, is certainly more catastrophe, I think, than Americans have seen up close since the height of Syria and the Obama administration, that most Americans understand that this is the right decision and are willing to, to sort of separate those issues in their minds. Spending some time with Rick Davis and Max Burns, our panel, as we round out Bloomberg Sound on today. Your take on that, Rick, in, in a real sense. I know this has become a bit of a talking point, but once credibility is called into question, does it not bleed into other issues? Yeah, no, I think Max is right in the sense that the policy itself of withdrawal from Afghanistan is got popular support, whether it's right or wrong. That's that's just a fact. Yeah. And and so exercising that policy, I'm sure, was attractive to the administration to to, you know, sort of solidify their base and, and talk to new voters. The problem is you have to do it in a way that actually looks like you know what you're doing. And so foreign policy is not competence. Competence is a domestic policy issue. And it calls into the question. Um, other things you're doing. And frankly, even today's press conference on COVID and talking about needing booster shots, there, a lot of people are going to be scratching their heads saying, well, why didn't we know we were going to need booster shots, you know, when we got the first set of shots? And, and of course, there's probably no way to have known that. But all these things now are going to be put into the, the, the coloration of um, whether or not this administration can actually shoot straight. And, uh, and, and I think that this will have some impact on an incredibly important week next week for this administration where they have up in the house both votes on 
the the human infrastructure and the hard infrastructure packages that that within the Democratic Party they don't seem to have a sense as to what they're going to do. And this administration needs a win, and my suspicion is there'll be enormous pressure put on Congress to give them that win early mm-hmm. next week. And to think these are all colliding in August of all months. Max, you're a Democratic strategist. There's been a lot of criticism against the communications apparatus inside the White House uh, with regard to Afghanistan, with regard to COVID, uh, in some cases, as Rick was just suggesting. Does someone get fired after all this? I don't think we're at the firing point yet, if only because Joe Biden likes to keep a close team. Uh, And barring any sort of open lie or misconduct, you're not going to see people get the boot over what I think Joe Biden recognizes is a really almost unwinnable messaging situation. But that is sort of to go back to a great point made earlier, uh, the prosecution of Afghanistan as a public relations exercise uh, is what brought us to this point. And I think the fact that it fell so quickly has caught the White House completely off guard. Uh, Joe Biden did not want to say anything unless he knew what he was saying was correct. And unfortunately, with a fast-moving situation like that, it meant that there was a long stretch there where Joe Biden said nothing at a time when people would have liked to hear from him. I don't mean to be overdramatic or too cute with the firing question. Maybe a better way to ask it, Max, is is it time for a big reboot? Does this communications uh, team at the White House need to go on a retreat and start doing this differently? I think absolutely there's going to be some internal conversations there. Uh, the, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, going on vacation the week of the withdrawal certainly uh, did not play well. But I think that that's also largely very internal conversation. If you ask uh, Americans outside Beltway what the most memorable part of this week was, I doubt one of them will mention Jen Psaki's away message in their comments. <laughs> right. But it is something I think that they need to to work on and they need to show some more discipline in being flexible in how they message in a crisis. Rick, I'm guessing that you wouldn't have put the uh, away message on your email and you would have taken the phone calls uh, no matter where you were. Yeah, I would have taken the calls. I would have come back that morning. (laughs) I mean, what kind of vacation did she have in the midst of all this? I'm sure it was miserable. And so, so, you know, just do what you think is instinctively right. And, and look, this is decades of, um, trying to punch up a regime in Afghanistan of our own choosing who were corrupt and didn't do a good job. And I don't think anybody who's visited Afghanistan came back ever with the two previous presidents saying, wow, we can really trust these guys. Uh, I know I spent a lot of time with John McCain after Afghanistan and he'd just shrug his shoulder and say, I hope these guys know what they're doing. Man, Rick Davis, Max Burns, great talk. Thanks to you both remembering that John McCain called off his campaign to come back to town to solve the economy. Remember that far back? Bloomberg Sound On for Wednesday in the books. I'll meet you back here tomorrow for the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. 
The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.